Hello and welcome to Backstage with Mike Mason here at the Miskatonic Playhouse. We have with us Mike Mason. Hooray! Hello, Mike. Hello. How are and, you? Oh, amazing. Amazing. Really good. Really good. All the better for being here with you uh, wow. and trapping you in a screen for, for a good hour or so to have a chat. Yes, I can't get out. <laughs> um, Mike, uh, obviously, just to you know, shout out there in case anybody stumbled across this and they were looking for something uh, completely unique and different. Um, stay and watch whoever you are and whatever you're watching. Uh, this is Mike Mason. Uh, he is the creative director of, of Call of Cthulhu and Chaosium Incorporated. Uh, this here, uh, whoever you are, strange person who's gone onto the wrong channel, you're in the right place and you're with the right people. Um, Mike, we have a series of questions from our community. Uh, some of them are brilliant. Some of them are out of the cosmic ether. Um, but we're, we're just going to roll with it and see what happens. Well, that sounds um, uh, like a wavy gravy to me. Yeah, that's <laughs> Excellent. Well, speaking of wavy gravy, we're going to start with Bucho, who is an absolute uh, dude in all, all aspects of the word. Uh, and he says, quite rightly as our first question, when you put your skin suit on in the morning, do you do it one leg sack at a time? Well, I first have to reconvene all the body parts and obviously re re you know, fit them together, um, which can be a bit messy because obviously without any skin on, it, it, it takes out ages to clean up <laughs> afterwards. But uh, normally, yes, it's one, one limb at a time. Uh, and then um, obviously you have a choice of skins, you know, you prepared. Uh, depending on you know what what the day is you know what the day is going to bring nice. but uh, yes you know yeah. most of, most of the time I can pass for human. Have you ever tried to to you know jump in all four limbs at once or does that just make a bit of a mess? I mean, I just make a total <laughs> mess. It can I, rips I, the yeah. skin if it's not Ooh. well prepared. Um, okay, uh, well, uh, we've got Mimic with our second question, and Mimic uh, has decided to ask something um, <laughs> slightly more answerable. Uh, Mimic says, what's your favourite Mythos monster to run mechanically or lore-wise? It's a tough one, because they're all they're all got their own little things that are kind of cool about them, you know, and especially, you know, ones that are kind of unique that the players never experienced before, that brings another kind of dimension to it, kind of because they just don't know what's going on. Um, but um, I think in terms, if you look at like traditional Cthulhu monsters that have been in the game for forty years or so, um, I, I'll, it's just it's just the look on the player's eyes when you say yes, it's the, you know the dark young is is coming towards you because <laughs> it's not it's it's all like all bets are off now because like oh Mike serious about this one <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, well, because you know they're not just big walking trees obviously they they usually played like. You know, a lot of times just like they're big trees with tentacles, but they're like really intelligent and they got loads of spells potentially. So uh, there's one scenario I've, I've tended to run where the dark young knows the red sign, which basically traps the players in its environment. They can't get out, so they have to. Yeah, because most players were run from a dark. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so trapping them, have the dark young trapping them in a particular area of land means they've got to actually come up with a plan to defeat it which is a kind of a little bit of railroad engineering and design but uh but it does the trick and it makes them focus down but i, I like that i also really like ghouls um, okay because because they are i i my, my view on the ghouls is there are two types there there are what you might call full ghouls uh and uh, who um have come into existence as a ghoul 
And then there are human, free human ghouls kind of thing, who were humans who became ghouls. And I, I think they're almost like two factions within the ghoul community and, and have their own differences. So I think human-based ghouls are quite interesting because they, they have a they have an understanding and mm-hmm. some affinity to humanity to some degree. And so they're not necessarily kind of evil monster from day one. They, you know, they can actually, you know, as we've seen in some scenarios and things like that, where they can actually be neutral, if not allies to the investors yeah. for a period of time. And maybe, but maybe it's only temporary. Maybe that shifts and changes, which I think is a, makes them an interesting kind of monster. Because, you know, you can do that with humans, but it's cool to do it with monsters too. So d- just two things off that, just just uh, not quite on our questions list, but just uh, just riffing off that for a second. I So... W- one of the things I really love about Call of Cthulhu is when you play, and obviously you're building, you know, you're building the, your your um, answers to the mystery. There's the, the you, you know, you, you, you're just trying to solve the case. What you're just saying there about the human aspect of the ghouls, but also there's the ghoul ghouls. I I love that idea that you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know whether there's going to be some kind of human motive behind it, or is it going to be so far and rarefied in the cosmic atmosphere that that humans can't understand it? And secondly, Mike, I remember uh, a while ago, maybe a year or two ago now, um, in one of the MR cons, and you you were talking, and I remember you being really passionate about um, uh, kind of turning tropes on their heads and and trying to find ways to take things that we all know and love and then twisting it with a completely new vibe. Is that kind of the idea with the ghouls there? I think that plays into it. I mean, there are some published scenarios uh, where these kind of things happen. I mean, you know, uh, without getting into big spoilers, but I imagine that most people will know the plot to this one as it's in the starter set. But the um, the uh, Paper Chase, which is a classical scenario we kind of updated for the Call of Cthulhu starter set. Yeah. I mean, that that you get both types of ghouls in there. And if you're a new player, you kind of maybe get a... You, I mean, it depends how you play it, but you could play it, you know, that they kind of see ghouls in one way and then later on the scenario they find some different ghouls who are very different and won't react in the way that you now expect them to react. So you're kind of shifting it in mid-game almost, uh, yeah. which, which I think is interesting. But, yeah, the uh, doing it um, to kind of play with expectations. I mean, at any time, you're, I mean, that's the thing with Call of Cthulhu and, and Mythos Monsters it's trying to play against the player's expectations or, or pretend that you're going along with it to then shift yeah, it. Yeah. Because it's yeah. like, you know, the whole, the old adage of people, oh, how many times you see a deep, oh, there's mysteries at the seaport, it must be deep ones, you know, kind of, kind of player attitude. And so, you know, you want to twist that completely. So they, um, they rue the day when they thought, you know, that they thought it was going to be a, a war. They, the they know what's behind it all before yeah. they start. You know, so you want to kind of uh, twist those conventions where you can, I guess. And I suppose for people that have been playing for, you know, whether you whether you are a new player, whether you've been playing for God knows how many years, that that's a cool for a keeper and a player, really exciting aspect. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so uh, uh, KJ's question next, uh, and KJ has asked, um, excluding the Call of Cthulhu Seventh uh, Edition Keeper Rulebook and the Investigator Handbook, what published work are you most proud of, and why? Um. Most of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I've got a particular soft spot for Pulp Cthulhu just because, you know, I was there when Pulp Cthulhu was first announced ooh, 20 years ago, wow. 30 years ago. Um, and um, it was it was announced as forthcoming next year. And then 20 years went by. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
and so when I kind of took it on um, post the you know the the seventh edition kind of launch, um, I kind of had to delve into the you know the the the, the dusty archives of Chaosium to try and find what had actually been written all those years ago. You know, back in the day before you know um, the internet and all the rest of it, and so <laughs> dusty file somewhere whether whether it had been kind of converted and saved into you know some word file back in the day or whatever or some quark file and uh with a bit of digging managed to find some stuff and with the help of uh, people like james louder who had, was one of the original contributors to the original book oh, who wow. ended up being a contributor to the to the, the final version helped, helped to kind of track down some of the original writers and talk to them and you know what did they write and, and we managed to actually pull quite a lot together uh, but it was it was mainly the scenarios and kind of supporting material rather than anything that you would call Pulp Cthulhu rules. There were some, but they were very, very minor, as in like back of a fag packet kind of a few lines. So there really wasn't anything there. So because I, I was expecting there then to be some some old rules that I could maybe rethink and just convert. So it would be a little easier for me. Um, however, there was literally nothing. So it, I had to sort of go in from scratch and kind of go, OK, so what is Pulp Cthulhu? So, uh, so there's a lot of, you know, thought process and, and talking to people and playtesting things through. And so, and the fact that it seems to have been embraced so well by the community, and obviously it can be a chalk and cheese thing. You know, some people really love Pulp, some people, it's not their thing. And that that's cool. That's that's the whole point of why it exists. It's there to, for people that want a kind of a more kind of action-oriented sort of style of play. But um uh, it's nice to sort of see that being embraced and then to see that kind of coming to life in campaigns like Cold Fire Within and Two-Headed Serpent yeah. and so forth. And to hear people talking about, you know, on the uh, the Facebook masks community, people talking about, you know, I'm running it as pulp or I'm actually starting it as classic, but I'm engineering it. So halfway through, we're going to become, it's yeah, going to turn into pulp. Yeah. Really kind of exciting kind of, you know, ways it's being used. And the fact you can kind of, dial the pull bubble down depending on your preferences i think you know helps do that so i'm quite proud of that i think because i think that added another dimension to the game uh you know for certainly for some people um, there, there, there but, seems to be a bit of a, yeah. a bit of a trend at the minute where um with mr scenarios as well where people are running scenarios and then going right well we're going to do it again with a different group but we're going to do it as pulp and it's almost like we've done the scenario now we're going to do it in a way that's like to the nth degree version of that scenario yeah. so yeah, yeah it's yeah. There's, there's a real kind of following a real drive to kind of see see what can be done with it now um, i mean I, I, as, I, as i was writing it i kind of like the thought in my head was like this i think this just just allows you as keeper to turn the dial up to 11 yeah, yeah. Kind of what, what, you know i can throw these monsters that, that i wouldn't really ever kind of really use in a classic or, or not in the same way and actually really be able to kind of play the monsters to their full potential because yeah. just because the survivability factor is a little bit stronger in pulp. But um, yeah, I just think it gives a bit of license to kind of, you know, um, push things really in that way. Yeah. Nice, nice. Uh, and that, that I, I really, I, I really, I think as a member of the community, I really appreciate that answer that you've given about uh, why you're proud of it, because it feels like it's, it is, there is so much of you in, in what pulp is, but it almost feels that obviously there's a legacy to it as well that you've been able yeah. to bring to fruition. That's really cool. Really nice. Thank you, uh, Mike. Uh, right. Theo, the artist, um, that's uh, Theo, who's the artist. Uh, they are asking, what's the best way to come up with original material or ideas for a scenario? 
Um, well, I think probably the normal best idea is if you put £10 or $10 in an envelope with a stamped addressed envelope and send it to me, <laughs> I'll send you an idea back. It's the, it's the classic answer. Somebody, was, I can't remember who it was, a famous author was once asked, where do you get your ideas from? He said, well, I send I send £10 or fiver <laughs> in an envelope to this bloke down in Somerset with a stamped addressed envelope and I get an idea back. And sends me one back, yeah. That's how it goes. Now, I, <laughs> I, um, the, I don't know. They, 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 the ideas exist in the other. They, they, they every, I mean, without you know getting all negative about it, it it's kind of like everyone's got ideas, and most of them are pretty cool. The difference between an idea and a writer is that a writer will write the idea. So I, I, I meet quite a lot of people that have really good ideas, but they're they can't well they haven't yet made the step to write it and make it into something because that's really it's like the same as you have an idea about you can visualize this great drawing but unless you draw it it's never going to be anything more than that momentary kind of fleeting idea so i think ideas are really good but i think the real key is locking into them and making something out of them that, yeah. that's that if you know there's a message i would convey to anyone aspiring to do anything it's like even if it, it's even if you think it's going to be bad, do something with it. And because you never know, it probably isn't going to be better than you, it probably is going to be better than you thought it was going to be. It may be amazing. And it may be the start of a whole new adventure for you in terms of doing, making, producing and all that kind of thing. So so uh, with this idea there of kind of the, the original idea or the, the idea for a scenario and seeing it through, uh, that leads us to uh, Jade's question. So Jade Griffin asks, uh, what, what drew, drew you to Call of Cthulhu? But linking to what Theo's asked, uh, how do you keep it fresh for yourself? Um, what drew me was horror. It's very simple. Yeah, I, I, I um, I'm a, a, a horror fiend. Uh, so, I, and I always have been. I, I, I used to frequent. There used to be a secondhand bookshop not far from where I lived, and I would go in. And obviously, I, you know, quite young. I was talking. This is kind of, you know, maybe eight, seven, between seven and ten. I was going into this bookshop, yeah, and it was all full of these old kind of, you know, 50s and 60s paperbacks and, and so forth. And I only went to one section because I'm not interested in anything else, but there was one wall of horror, sci-fi and fantasy, and they just all be grouped together. So, you know, I'd pull them off and I had no idea who these people were. You know, I was pulling off, you know, Robert E. Howard and Clark Ashton Smith books, and I had no idea who they were. They just looked cool covers. Yeah. Sound, and the story sounded interesting, necromancy and X and so forth. Um, and, and also you'd have the Herbert Van Thal um, plan horror anthologies of, of these, these strange and very wrong <laughs> tales of horror. Um, and um, I just used to devour them and love them. And as well as, you know, science fiction and getting in, you know, picking up things like June in there when I was really far too young to understand yeah, it. Yeah. But, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of got in me and I grew up in the 70s where life was horror <laughs> then on children's tv and you were watching the changes or you know the children of the stones or something like that and they were genuinely terrified <laughs> even now when you watch them you're like what the hell were we there is a certain I'm... something isn't there about those effects um, from that time and, and then just... I'd go to school and they'd show us you know public health films like you know, uh, Apaches and, and I come, you know, the spirit of dark and lonely water. We were shown those in school 
and now it's one of the most terrifying films and gory films you know, wasn't there the famous warning? Uh, the I remember, I can't remember who it was now. Wasn't there the famous warning thing about putting your head out of a train, the yeah. train window, and it's like, boff, head comes off, oh, and there's like showing no, it to roll, kids rolling down the track. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so all this, and you know, I'd go to the train station, and there'd be posters for films that I would, you know, couldn't go and see, but I remember vividly there was a poster for what was it called? Um, the, oh, it's the one with the pram. And these two claws are coming out the pram. I can't think if it's called. Uh, not not Rosemary's Baby. No, no. It, oh, I can't um, think what it's called. But it's just like a, a this horror, you know, dark pram with these two claws. Coming. If you at home can name that film, drop it in the comments for us. I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, but, and it's just like, it was like really kind of quite a scary poster for my my age. But I was hooked. I, thought, I really wanted to see the film. I would just be playing this imaginary film in my head about all, what it would be. So I, I've, I've always been to horror. So when I then got into role playing, which was through um, a friend, um, friend, a friend's brother running D and um, and then kind of getting hooked on that, um, playing D and D and Traveller and a bit of RuneQuest too, and 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 because there wasn't a lot available at the time, there's a few others, but they were the main ones. And then in you know about eighty two, um, I well a friend discovered Call of Cthulhu and uh, showed it to me and it showed me the covers and it was the, you know, the Sullivan covers that kind of, that looks awesome. Like those films, that, like, like those books. Like, that reminds me of those old Clark Ashton Smith paperbacks. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I just immediately got it and, and and it was what I'd been waiting for because I, you know, horror hadn't been a component in role-playing games until that point. And suddenly here's a game that's all about horror. It's all about mystery. It's all about, you know, yeah. Kind of, you know, what does Sherlock Holmes do if he meets the Ripper and all that kind of stuff like that? Yeah. Um, all in this game that that captured, that just captured and fired my imagination. That well, that's how I was drawn to it and continue to be drawn to it because I because I haven't changed in fifty <laughs> odd years. Um, and um, and so it also keeps it fresh. It, it, it's it's. Um, there's all we go back to what we just said. There's always a new spin or a different take on an old story because I mean a lot of a lot of role play stories, if you just call it that, whether they're Call of Cthulhu horror or D and D dungeons or whatever they may be, they, they are a lot of the time the same story just with new skins, you know. Um, and so and that's cool, you know. But um, what's nice is to kind of you know, find a different take on it and be be energized. And what, what I find is as I'm reading and editing scenarios that come in from, you know, different writers, I, I start reading the scenario, but I start, I, in my, I've got two sides of my head. Half of my head is the editor kind of looking for typos and, and logic and all that kind of thing. And the other half is still the keeper in me going, I get halfway through, I can just imagine running it. I can, you know, I, get, I, I hear this voice going, when you run this, what you should be, <laughs> and that's what, because that's what has always that's exciting in role, in role playing games. It's the thought of what, how am I going to run this? What would happen? Yeah. What, how are the players going to react when this happens? Oh, that's going to be great. You know, that's going to be so fun to see them all go, oh, whatever. Um, so that kind of keeps it fresh for me in, in a sense, you know, exciting, you know, yeah. new works and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I am being aware of time, but at the same time, I, I get to talk to Mike Mason, so I'm going to take advantage of this moment. Is it yeah. you? <laughs> you were saying there, Mike, about obviously the the you know the, the it's horror. 
you love it. It's mystery. You've been, you know, it, it, it's your bag and has been for such a long time. Um, is it fair to say, like, as the kind of, you know, different zeitgeists come and go, trends come and go, society evolves and changes, does that bring a certain level of freshness to that 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 reinterpretation yeah. of horror? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, um, you do get you do get these kind of um, different kind of um, subgenres coming in and becoming popular for a time. You go know, back a few years, J horror, kind of Japanese horror, was was very predominant. I mean, they're still not that they're not doing it now, but but they, it was kind of you know the ring, uh, ring, and and yeah. and, um, and all those kind of, and they're generally great. You know, really interesting. You know, you're looking at you're looking at horror concepts. You know, ghosts, but done in a different way, and all that kind of stuff. And um, so that's kind of exciting. Then there was the there was the kind of French new wave of horror, which was really ultra violent, ultra gory, martyrs, and things like that, which again brings something different to the table. Um, and you kind of ride through this, and it kind of happens in literature as well. And you, you know, I remember back in the eighties, there was kind of the kind of splatterpunk kind of scene, Skip Inspector, and so forth, kind of um, you know bringing kind of the aesthetic of the kind of gore film to your horror novel or whatever it is. Yeah. But, you know, and so you do get these little trends that kind of go through, and and it's interesting to kind of chart those through and to draw from them because they they often you know do bring a new angle or reinvent something that was old, and they reinvent it and comes with some fresh you know blood kind of thing so uh yeah it, it's it's um but horror has always been a really vibrant genre you know most horror most film directors start by making a horror film because they're cheap to make and, <laughs> and 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 often because of that they, they they can be quite creative you know george romero you know zombies and the yeah. crazies and stuff like that you know, early films that are still that have really influenced and so many other things, you know, Nosferatu, the original, you know, black and white, watch it now. It's still a fantastic film and so inspiring. And and look at what that inspired. <laughs> How yeah. many vampire films subsequently? So there's, there's, you know, that kind of, because horror is often um, at the forefront of things in terms of being experimental or just the first thing people do, because it's, a, as I say, an, an easier entry point sometimes. Um, you get a lot of you know you get a lot of interesting creativity in it so um and that's you know that's always inspiring to me anyway uh, it's, uh, i would say in to get it right and to have the lasting impact that you, that that it's clearly had on you and it's had on on probably all of us that are listening it's really bloody hard to do as well you know just as a as a bog standard basic drama teacher in a school teaching a lot of the genres teaching a lot of the things we often talk about comedy and horror being two of the hardest things to capture yeah. but being very similar because of landing those moments and tension suspense atmosphere mood all those things that you've got to manipulate and play with with your audience um but they clearly pay off in spades um, absolutely yeah i mean not to divert a little bit but 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 you know the you're absolutely right, and and it's the same for in in around the gaming table. The hardest things to basically generate by the the GM is horror and comedy, because you know there've been comedy games written, there've been horror games written, but you can't you can't distill the feeling of those things through through the writing. You, you can all you can do is nudge them and try to set up situations where they can the outcome can be that way. Yeah. But ultimately it's that you're trying to create this kind of lightning in a bottle that, that is ephemeral that 
only happens at the right time. You know, it's like, like I say, you can't have cosmic horror and dread every game, every second of Call of Duty you play, because otherwise it will be dull and it wouldn't yeah. be horrific. Oh, so another ghoul, I've got this. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to kind of culture it and, and kind of feed yeah. it and let it grow till till it comes out in the players, because that, that, that's that's who you know make it happen. You can only guide it and try and nudge it along, but you can't say right, this scene's going to be really horrible. There's, you know, really horrific in terms of scary. It, it won't fall flat on its face. Those yeah. are those ones. Well that we just walk... be, whatever pass me the pizza. <laughs> but yeah. when they do land, those are those ones, aren't we, that we walk away from going, yeah. as player and keeper, you just kind of walk away just going, wow, that, that's just, that's the next three days of my distracted thoughts when I should be working, <laughs> thinking, thinking about how that moment landed in the game. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So speaking about those moments that land in games, and, and uh, uh, Minnesota Mike asked a question, I think we've just kind of answered it, so we'll 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 skip that in a minute. But Shy Lurker has asked um, from the uh, good friends of Jackson Elias Discord, uh, he says, because we talked about those wonderful moments that land, he's asking, what is your favourite Call of Cthulhu module? Which I imagine must be tied into kind of like an epic moment that's landed for you. It's hard. It's that's really hard because it's there's. I've worked on so many. I've written quite a lot, and and, and it's really hard to kind of pull one. Who's your favourite child? <laughs> but um, in terms of in terms of, I, I try not to obviously promote my own work, so I'll promote other people's. But um, uh, I mean, you kind of cut a divide line between campaigns and scenarios. So campaigns, quite. I love Horror Nose Express. I love masks. I'm a big fan of Tour of Determined. I had a great time playing it through. You know, campaigns are their, their own thing, and there's so much in them. You're going to find something you like at some point in, in the campaign, in theory. Uh, but putting those aside, in terms of just, you know, one-shots or, or standalone kind of scenarios, I mean, if I go back to, you know, early days, um, Mr. Corbett, you know, which is in Manchester Madness, uh, and I first time I encountered that scenario, I was a player, and and it was just the you know my reaction and my other fellow players' reactions to you know it's it has got how many legs <laughs> kind of thing and um and just just the kind of the cozy setup of your next door neighbour acting a bit strange and it's a it just still is a brilliant setup it's a yeah. you know it's a it's perfect for anyone whether they played the game before or not. So I think it's a, it, I think that's a real kind of classic for me that it, it, it kind of works for any one kind of scenario. Yeah. I think so. I like it. But um, if I think about more kind of more modern stuff, um, I'm a big fan of uh, of the scenarios in Berlin Wicked City. You know, Dave Larkin scenarios. The, Beautiful book, particularly Shrek film, where you get to kind of have dinner with Alistair Crowley um, and Dances of Vice and Horror and Ecstasy. I think it's called. Uh, uh, where you've got the whole kind of, um, you know, the whole kind of cabaret scene where they need to Berber, um, but also you've got this kind of later on, you've got the whole shadow city, which is the bit I really like. And got, <laughs> oh, that gives me license to just go crazy kind of thing. Um, so I'm a big uh, big fan of those two. I think that, that there's a lot of meat and depth in those that you can draw upon. Um, I really liked um, Chris Lackey's Loki's Gift in Cults of Cthulhu. Um yeah. Because that, without answering a question that might come later, but it's a it's a really good gaslight scenario, and I I really like when I'm keeping is playing gaslight NPCs, particularly kind of like chimney sweeps and dustbin men, because uh, they're just a lot. All of right, governor. Play. Yeah, they're just a lot of fun to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, but I, I think that's a, that's a I I, I like that because 
and the re one of the, the other reason, the secret reason I really like it is because it's about a play and it's got nothing to do with the king in yellow. <laughs> There's no king in yellow. What? I want a refund. It's another scenario. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so that's that's good. Um, uh, so this question yeah. might tie into this. Then this might this might lead into just a little bit of expansion of this answer. So uh, uh, Thaluthu uh, asks, um, <laughs> what scenario or investigation have you read recently that that uh, that, that brings something new to the table? Okay. Um, and those yeah. are quite new books as well that we just talked about. Or new, they new are. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, this is a really good question. And it really kind of makes you have to think about things. Because obviously I, I, I go through quite a lot of scenarios. And, often, and usually, like, like most people, whatever I've been working on recently is, is my favourite thing of the time, you know, kind of thing. But trying to expand that a little bit. Um, one thing I have worked on recently um, is uh, a scenario called Aurora Blue by Bridget Jeffries. And what I like about that is... Uh, Bridget has taken a very kind of old concept uh, and, and thing and but added a really interesting twist that, that um, is completely Bridget, if you see what I mean. And yeah. so, so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting scenario because I ran it, I actually ran it um, last week and um, and it's the first time I've run it having edited it and it, we had a really good time <laughs> and, it, and it created and what i like is scenarios that, that give you the flexibility to create to create further depth in the scenario without kind of veering away from it but but actually yeah. it creates like i said before kind of great situations that if you are keeping an eye out for you can exploit so for instance to, to as an example without giving any plot away there's it, it, we get near the end and there's uh there's the one of the characters is trying to save an NPC, and but there's a big bad bearing down on them, yeah? And it's pretty clear the big bad is going to at least have one final kind of strike before they can get away. And so in that moment, it just occurred to me to obviously advise the player, you know, to tell them that, you know, you know it's just breathing down your neck, you know it, you can feel the, the claw <laughs> about to hit. You have a simple choice, a split-second choice, you can either, you know, it's take the hit and save the child, the NPC. But if you just quickly turn and hold the child up, <laughs> human shield, <laughs> human shield, it the choice is yours because you know, it's, you know, things go through your head when you're in dire situations, and and obviously what you're trying to present is a moral dilemma. Yeah, um, and for what the player, you know, what the player did, I won't tell you what the player did, but. That was cool because it stopped, you know, it wasn't about the combat now. It was about the moral dilemma of what what should I do as a player and character? And that's obviously sometimes a real part of you know what oh, the game I, can do I love that that uh, even whether it's a whether it's a player player uh, moral dilemma off or whether it's a group moral dilemma they've got to do together. I just find those moments just so whether you're a, I mean, a keeper, it's quite special, but being a player in that situation as well, it's so much fun to have that as to, to, to kind of be confronted. But that Mike might lead us into this next question, which is from Minnesota, Mike. Uh, he says, uh, what was the bleakest game ending you've encountered? I, this is a real tough one because quite a lot of them. <laughs> there's um, been a lot of there's been a lot of bodies over I mean, the years. I, 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 I'm struggling to think of a specific one. Um, I've got I've got one memory as a player, um, and I, I'm 
And I find that I do that quite a lot as a player. Um, you know, when it ends up being my character that gets sacrificed to for the greater good. I do remember one that it was almost like a per, it kind of it wrote itself kind of ending. Uh, my half the players were had their characters killed. This final scene, the, the, the we can't stop the monster, but but we can. Um, I, I can't remember now the monster if the monster fed on us or something. It could it got better and bigger or something. And so the only choice left was to kind of take myself out of the game to stop the monster kind of thing. If it, you know, if it could yeah. eat one more, then it would, you know, so so it was almost that kind of like, you know, that final thing. I had a handgun, so I I I, I took my character out in a in a last act of defiance, yet for the greater good. Yeah, so that was yeah. quite a bleak ending, but 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 you know, in my twisted mind, quite heroic too. Still, and, and rewarding. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it, but it, but it but it worked really well because everyone felt it was really satisfactory, you know, with the other, you know, yeah. what, with the, what the other characters were doing as well. So, yeah. so it kind of ended, you know, well in that way. But, um, you know, I'm trying to think. There's been, you know, I've, I've probably destroyed the world a few times. That's pretty bleak, <laughs> isn't it? You know, when players have not done what they wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, Especially if you think you're doing the right thing as well, and then you get the yeah. revelation dropped on you that, oh, sorry. I mean, I, I brought a whole mountain down on a bunch of players once because they refused to go to the mountain because they knew bad things were going to happen. So rather than, you know, as written, it was the players were expected to go to the mountain and find the things there. They were never going to go there. It was a convention game, so we were running out on time. So I was like, well, <laughs> you're never going to go there. I'll just bring the mountain to you. So I just literally brought the mountain down nice. on them and then you know the monsters inside it came out um so that was quite bleak i guess but i don't know you know it's a horror game but it is a game and it is meant to be fun as well yeah. so it's kind yeah. of like fun in scare so i i i um you know it's always a double-edged sword it's you know it's bleak and horror but it's also fun yeah i would <laughs> say the the player the player investigator death um you know, obviously, especially it's a very different thing, isn't it? If you're playing like a scenario compared to a campaign, campaigns, yeah. you're so much more invested. But as a player, I, I've uh, th there's a bit of a running joke at the Playhouse where whenever we run a scenario now, for some reason, everybody already starts their game going, right, Newman's going to die by this point. <laughs> and that, that's a bit of a thing. So it's almost now getting to the point where it's like, how can I have a meaningful death as opposed to anything else? Yes, um, yes. Mike, we're going to change gear now. We've got a question from Evan Pullman, uh, our wonderful Evan. Um, and he asked, this is in light of the drive through RPG uh, link up with Roll20 and Miskatonic Repository and the, the, the wonderful kind of evolution that's happened there. Mm. So his question is, uh, now that we can create Roll20 packages for our scenarios, are there any significant aspects that we should be thinking of that make a scenario work better for Roll20? And he's thinking handouts and maps, uh, things sure. like that. I mean, yeah, the, the obvious thing is ensuring your kind of player aids, whatever they may be, maps and handouts, and usually are you know, accessible in a Roll20 format in whatever that may be. Um, but I was kind of thinking about, you know, um, what would I, what, what do I really want? <laughs> what would I really <laughs> want? And in that format, there's been one thing I, 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 I mean, in theory, it should be a lot easier nowadays. What with podcasting and everyone can record things, but um, but audio, you know, making making you know rather than a handout, a you know um, 
and it will work in most areas because it could be a gramophone or a wax cylinder or a tape cassette or a recorded CD or a yeah. voice file is the handout. There isn't, isn't a paper handout. It's just, you know, this is what the person said. You know, this is what they recorded. Um, uh, I think, you know, obviously would work really well in the kind of a, an online space. Um, and especially because, if, you know, if you've got the, I mean, the thing is, the wonderful thing about a lot of Call of Cthulhu Keepers is they love making props. Oh, God, and yeah. clearly there's going to be a subset of those that actually know what they're doing with audio and can make, you know, little sound effects and reverb and make make it sound like the, the Mygo talking or whatever it is, or the ghouls or the human or the cultists or whatever. Um, I think that's just really cool because, you know, I think those kind of things help to, everyone would be quiet and they listen and so it helps to kind of almost refocus the game in at certain points. It's 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 um, more immersion, isn't it? It's more, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that kind of immersion. So, I mean, obviously the logical con uh, continuance would be video clips, but that's, you know, again, doable, but more work and, you know, making them look authentic. You know, we can all stand in front of a video and talk and or get a couple of mates to kind of act out a scene. But if you're, if it's a, meant to be a, a you know 1930s 40s cine film then you've got a you know all the added effects and making them look kind of as if they're in period rather than two modern people dressed up to look like they're 1920s people those kind of issues happen so maybe more you know modern day play that kind of thing would fit more easily into and be easy to do but i think those kind of things are interesting um i um the one thing I'm not interested in, if I can go the converse, is tactical maps. I, I, because <laughs> my analogy is this. If I'm playing Monopoly and I use the Monopoly rules to play Monopoly, then I'm playing Monopoly. If I now go and play Settlers of Catan, I don't use the Monopoly rules to play Settlers of Catan. I use the Settlers of Catan rules to play Catan because that's how that game works. So... I am often confused and puzzled when people sometimes want to play uh, Call of Cthulhu, but with like very detailed strategic tactical maps because they're very used to using those from a different role-playing experience. Now, I'm not saying they shouldn't and can't. They can do what the hell they like. However, I, I think it kind of loses something in, in what this game is meant to be. It, it is not about tactics in that way sometimes very occasionally yeah it's quite useful but i'd rather see that you know the the floor plan of the house and maybe if you use yeah yeah fog of war to kind of reveal it as you go around that's cool that's not a tactical map that's a floor plan you're showing people and maybe you're going yeah your token is in the bathroom because and your token's in the library the because, old classic blueprint kind of thing yeah because that's yeah. what we do around the table because you know, obviously you often, often get the player who's says they're going to the bathroom or they've gone upstairs and then something happens in the library downstairs and, and the next second they go well i'm going to do this well hang on no you're upstairs yeah yeah did you, how did you just teleport there they go oh <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of helps to you know make people where they are in the map so that's all cool but i i, I get confused well not confused i just kind of get puzzled by why the needs to kind of you know... i suppose is it it's kind of propped up by what we were talking about earlier though isn't it the um <clears throat> excuse me like the you know with the tactical map it, it it might 
go against the grain in terms of building that tension suspense and that shared narrative when you when you slow things down to talk about that tactical angle the degree you're looking around the corner the the, the yeah. whatever it is that you're doing yeah i, I can totally get that I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah but as i say i mean that's me personally and like i say if it helps you to run what you feel is your best game then i'm not going to stop you and and the Call of Cthulhu police will not come round and stop you doing it. It's fine. And you know, do, They're too busy dealing have, with crazy cases anyway. Yeah. Have your best game. That's fine. I'm talking personally for me in terms of what I would want from a role play yeah. thing. I'm not interested in tactical maps. I want audio files and videos and, and yeah. you know, really cool floor plans with fog of war on them. That's what I want. Yeah. You know, but um, you know, your mileage may vary. Oh, okay, nice. Um, well, uh, continuing our um, our slightly change of gear here in terms of um, d- d- how we're looking at you know what's coming up, what's out there, uh, and just picking Mike's uh, mind apart as, as much as we can. Uh, Stu, who is the uh, the wonderful producer over at the Miskatonic Playhouse, he's asked a question here, uh, which is. With Regency, Down Darker Trails, Gaslight, Invictus, Dark Ages, but to name a few, I think he was just trying to name as many as possible. Uh, do you have a favourite era to, to to play, to keep her, and or write? Yeah, uh, I mean, I love Gaslight. Uh, it, you know, it, it's you know, shrug, 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 fog shrouded Victorian streets. Yes you know they're very atmospheric and they kind of you know they work very well for this style of game so i i like that i like the characters you can meet in gaslight i like the whole putting on the uh the mary poppins accents and and having a bit of a comedy time and then getting serious with the horror it all works really well in gaslight but you know so i'm a, i've always loved gaslight um and so i really enjoy running gaslight um i really like playing in the modern day i really like playing and keeping in the 20s, 30s kind of period. I think, I think obviously, having spent so long and a lot of time working on Call of Cthulhu, I, I know the 20s pretty well now. I mean, I knew, <laughs> I knew them pretty well before, just running the game for so many years, but I know them pretty well now. And so it's it's kind of second nature. So I find it it's not easier, but it, but it but it is it's it's comfortable. So so therefore, you know, I I can I can I can focus on the narrative and not the setting, if you know what I mean. Because yeah, the setting, yeah. I don't have to worry about the setting too much. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I do like playing in those particular areas as well. Modern, modern is fantastic for playing in because you know it kind of just sets a new kind of agenda to it to a degree. Um, yeah. And I like running, I like running modern because I. I love answering people. I love it when people say, can I use my mobile phone? Yes. Can I look things up on the internet? Yes, please do so. What And, 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 they, and, they, and they expect <laughs> some power. great revelation to come out of the internet. <laughs> I go, well, in, just put your real head on for a moment and tell me what useful information you ever yeah. found on the internet about aliens, deep ones, <laughs> ghouls, you know. Uh, can I use the internet? Yes. Foot, what do you want? Uh, Wikipedia. You, know, <laughs> you can find stuff. You'll find a load of great videos. No yeah. one believes any of that the true, you know. So if there's a you know video showing deep ones wandering around some beach, well, it's clearly a fake, isn't it? Or or, or you know, yeah. or at least there's a hundred comments telling you about the you know the software that was used to create it. Um, so it, it's 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 quite good to dash their hopes that they're gonna they they've yeah, thought they're yeah. gonna be really clever by by looking upon the internet or doing something, and they're going well, no, it, you know, no. But yes, I mean, I've had 
all sorts and things like that. But it's it's good to go because also you can use it to the advantage. You know, it's great uh, in one day because your players can be in constant contact with one another and not in the same location. Yeah, which is really helpful. You don't have to do that contrivance of we all meet up at the cafe to kind of share your notes after a day's <laughs> investigation. Speaking is... the party has a different vibe, doesn't it? You can yeah, even yeah. like video. You can you can do this. You can just FaceTime each other on the exactly. bloody phone, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And you can use that to build the horror, which is you know something they've done. Uh, but an Alex said with viral is that you know you actually yes. using technology in an intelligent, sensible way, making the modern world work. You know, yeah. and, and try, you know, I think viral did a great job of doing that. And I think it's that kind of thing I've been trying to stress to people in in terms of modern day play that you know use the technology. Don't because there was a long time with Call of Cthulhu where it was like, oh, set it somewhere isolated where they can't, where the phones don't work. No, make the phones part of the horror. Yeah, make, yeah. Make, you know. You know, okay, that's really cool. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm, uh, there is something I think quite cool. I think quite, um, maybe what players think might be empowering, but but then very probably disempowering to put to do, a, as you say, to do a modern scenario because it's saying, yeah, of course, use these things, use these things. And then actually, those are my things that I get to play with, <laughs> and, you know, almost, almost against you. These are my tools. Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Okay. Um, uh rena wonderful rena uh henzy uh asks um cretaceous cthulhu when <laughs> oh dinosaur well, that impression to me like um i mean that's a whole serpent person campaign isn't it i mean it's gotta you know, be so do you do you are you are you time traveling back and then enter the land 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 of the serpent people and you kind of Oh, you know, you're, you're putting on, you, you, you're quickly putting together some paper mache snake heads to try and blend in. <laughs> um, or are you, you know, or are you that kind of strange, unwanted serpent person faction who, where you're actually playing serpent people who kind of disagree that, you know, with the majority that, you know, the earth is for them and they're more kind of eco environmental, kind of like, you know, we should live and let live kind of thing. Um, you know, there's two interesting possibilities. I really like that. You know, I'm trying not to spoiler things, but you know, masks has been out a little while now. But there's a bit in mask where you can kind of head back in time a little bit, and yeah, I, I really like dumping players in the past and seeing how they get on. But I like, but I like to ensure they can get out of it again. I don't like to send them on a one way journey because I think that can be all. So you, you wouldn't do a. Uh planet of the apes slash planet of the snake people where it's yeah. oh my god they won and yeah. they're now the dominant species well, that's it. Well, that, you've just tied the, the campaign brilliantly because you you have the players go back in time yeah and deal with it you know deal with the serpent you know empire and all that kind of thing and, and manage to just kind of get away with the skin of their teeth time jump back to the future and it's like planet of the apes. i said but it's all serpent people they yeah. you know and like, oh my god that's a great ending <laughs> quick piss go and write it that sounds good <laughs> oh, that does sound good, actually. Everybody else pretend you didn't hear that. I'm going to write that. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, so we've got a question from Pete uh, Burgess here. So Pete is uh, one of the video editors here at the Playhouse, um, and he has asked. Oh, Pete's a big fan of source books. He 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 really enjoys um, not just the the I suppose any kind of new mechanics and things that come out of it, but it very much loves the regional stuff. So, uh, are there any other source books or guides for Call of Cthulhu that you wish existed? Yeah, the 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 the, the, the <laughs> it's a terrible answer, terrible answer to give. Yeah, there are, and, and that's, why, that's why we're going to do them. So, oh, well, there you go. There it is. Yeah. I mean, there's um, there's a couple that kind of um, aren't really big secret. One, one's a kind of a reworking of a book 
that came out some time ago that actually was part of the Biscatonic Library Association back in the day, the old Moolers, uh, this you know pre pre repository where where people could kind of write stuff and kind of be published in kind of um, splat book form from Casium. Yeah, um, and um, C.J. Roma wrote the very first one of those, which was the Parapsychologist Handbook. And um, CJ is a good friend and um, is an actual parapsychologist in real life. So he does actually know what he's talking about. <laughs> so I just thought, wouldn't it be a good idea to get CJ to go back to his original book yeah. and update it and rewrite it as a player facing book, a handbook for players mm. on how what how do you do a psycho psychology? Yeah. Parapsychologists' investigation. What are the tools? What would be the tools in the twenties? What are the tools in the modern day? How would you construct? You know, and basically deconstruct an investigation almost, and and talk about that as a you that's know, really a, cool, yeah, updated handbook. So we we so TJ's done a, done the work on that. It's now sitting in the the vaults, gathering dust, <laughs> so we can kind of find a bit of time to actually get into developing it. But that's that's a book I've wanted to do for some time. So that's one that will come out at some point. Yeah. In the future. Is there any? I was just going to say, are there any other kind of professions like that within our, you know, our Call of Cthulhu profession list where you kind of go, yeah, that's something that we could dive deeper into and and offer more on that? Potentially, is I think I think the parapsychology is so rich because there's a lot to talk about. There's there's history, there's equipment, there's plots, and and all that kind of stuff. So I think it kind of is enough to make a book. Whereas I'm not. 100% 100% convinced and I'm happy to be you know persuaded. The teacher but, you know the, the book on <laughs> you know, the book on the teacher investigator um yeah there are there are a lot of occupations there could be any occupation as you know but uh, there are there are key ones I guess mm. where you know it, it just comes down to if there's, if there's a real demand for that kind of thing because I mean yeah we could do something on you know, being a, a detective, which could cover not only private eyes, but a police detective or a inquiry agent or a consulting detective. But, you know, all these different occupations all kind of do the same thing. So you could do that. Yeah. Maybe you want to, you know, maybe it's one book that covers a number of different things. You know, maybe do you need do you need do you need details on how what a library no. does? But you, but you saying about the um about the parapsychology uh, profession that's great because you know as a as a as a as someone who obviously is not a parapsychologist feeling that you have the authority to play that character because you have that source book adds loads to your role playing experience i think so that that's a really cool one to do because it's it just falls very much in line doesn't it with the whole genre well it does because also you know while you know there's a lot of mythos investigations that kind of start as a haunted house or some sort of ghosty character so there's a natural link to that but it also allows you not only you know as players but also as a keeper if you're going to be using it as a tool think about actually expanding your repertoire of scenarios maybe you want to maybe you do want to do some that are not mythos or very adjacent mythos and actually they are more kind of mundane in terms of you know it it's a ghost of some sort or or some kind of paranormal encounter some kind of strange black dog on the moors with a single eye and and all that kind of stuff or <laughs> or strange beings from another dimension which yeah. all kind of falls into the kind of the real world kind of parapsychology kind of you know bundle it does allow you to kind of play with those and sometimes those will lead into some sort of they may have a mythos origin or background but 
but they may not you know they may just be open-ended mysteries where you never really get to the bottom but you the actual experience is the the investigation and the kind of frights you have on the way and close calls that actually is you know the component of a game so maybe maybe it'd be interested to see if people are kind of inspired to kind of do a little bit kind of extracurricular stuff yeah which i think a lot of us in this community do um <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh bridget bridget jeffries herself uh got in touch she wanted to ask a question uh insightful as ever always throwing as a curveball is bridget uh bridget is asking what have you been reading lately well, I used to be one of the people who read one book at a time. I'm no longer that kind of person. Many years ago, that, that, <laughs> that went out the window. So I'm often, I've got a number of books. I mean, I, I've got more books on the go that I can't actually remember all of them. They're just sort of littered around the house and I kind of pick them up every now and again and read a bit more. But there are some that I kind of like read more regularly to actually get, because I kind of get into them a bit more. Um, in terms of things I've been reading lately, the, the, the two I'm currently reading in that I've not actually finished is uh there's I read it I read quite a lot of non-fiction um there was uh I don't know if I said earlier but in, in terms of inspiration for me I find non-fiction really useful because because I'm always worried when I'm reading fiction that um that I, enjoy, I enjoy reading it but but I try to close my mind my game writer mind off because I have this kind of innate thing. I don't want to copy that idea. I don't. Yeah. I don't want to feel yeah. like I've stolen that idea or whatever. But, um, but um, so nonfiction tends to give me clear remit to kind of go. Oh, that's that's an interesting thing I learned in history today, or science, or whatever it is. And oh, that 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 that's inspired an idea for a scenario or something. Um, so the nonfiction book I'm currently reading is um, Collapse, which is well, it's Collapse: Holon, How Societies Choose to Fail or Survive by um jared diamond um and it's really interesting it's a quite a dense book um and um what he's done is examine a number of historical civilizations that effectively died off or collapsed in some way and tries to explore why they did and to draw out common themes across them to sort of say well these these are these are the things you need to look out for kind of the god worship you know, yeah. <laughs> that's really good because i mean it's and it's really kind of very diverse he talks about the vikings he talks about easter island which is you know oh, yeah interesting yeah. um also kind of um various kind of um is it like go back American as far as like yeah, i was gonna say mayan and, cultures and things and, and yeah down into south america as well and uh yeah it's very wide-ranging and so interesting he's been he was talking about yeah, we, I'm currently reading about the Vikings, and mainly he's talking about the Vikings who went to live in Iceland and Greenland, particularly Greenland, because that colony bailed after 20 years. Um, and so that's, again, it really interesting stuff. And and there's always little tidbits that aren't really part of the, the theme of the book that are just thrown out. That, you are, that bit's interesting. Yeah. And I like a little post-it note or underlined pen on that page to come. And yeah. I just kind of do that with a book, kind of keep some notes, and then forget about them. And then six months later, I look at the book with all these post notes sticking out of it. Go, oh, so I get the book and I got my notebook, my kind of ideas book. And I just go through the book with the post it notes and take out the post note and write down what it said in the book there. Just say, you know, oh, that yeah. thing, yeah, it's just Vikings in Greenland, blah, 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 the little note. Um, and so I fill this kind of my notebooks up with these kind of things I've stolen from non-fiction books, basically, that, <laughs> that sit on the shelf and then occasionally I look through them and then 
the idea comes back or I get a new idea. That's really that okay. That's again. really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so okay. that, I'm in that one. The, the other the, the other book that I'm reading is a fiction, and that is unusually for me a fa- a fantasy book. I very very rarely read fantasy these days. But this is the Lies of Loch Lamora by uh, Scott Lynch and um, Scott Lynch. I've heard that name. It's really good. Um, okay. And um, it's a really good fantasy book. Um, it's quite um, dark. It's a bit. It's kind of like Thieves' World come to life to some degree. Um, and but what's really engaging for me are the are the as I would call them the NPCs. The the, the <laughs> characters in the book they're very colourful and characterful and um, yeah, that I'm really enjoying that because uh, I, I I'm I got switched off fantasy a long time ago because of them all being the same book. You know, you know, you know the story about the young boy who's growing up in the in the in the wilderness. With I the, do. Is that the one who's got the ring and the lightsaber? He's got he's got a ring and a lightsaber, and then then some yeah. old bloke with a beard turns up who's never met before. Yes, he knows all Gandalf about Gandalf Wan Kenobi. I and know then, who you mean. And takes yeah. him on, and he's actually the king. He's actually that... the, actually the king in waiting. There you and go. I, I've heard, you know, I like the King Arthur story. I'm a big fan of that, and I'd rather read King Arthur than read <laughs> yeah. the story again and again and again. <laughs> yeah, let's play Pen Dragon. Tense of some other story, you know. So I, yeah. I can look fed up with fancy because of that. But but oh, okay. more is is really good. I really enjoyed that one. Well, there's a recommendation. Uh, no one's asking me, but I'm going to tell you what I've just finished. Yes, reading. please do. Um, th- oh, someone's asking me. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> um, uh, so the only reason I bring it up is because this is this almost goes against the grain for you. This is a fiction book, and it's a Cthulhu. Uh, kind of horror book my wife bought it for me she's not uh, one of us she doesn't really do what we do but she kind of saw a book and went oh he'll like this um and i have to say it was bloody brilliant it's the first of the james lovegrove uh the cthulhu case book so it's gaslight sherlock holmes yeah um yeah and i have to say i picked it up and um started reading it really bloody enjoyed it Uh, yeah yeah, so um i think i might get the others um so and it has really kind of I, I I totally get what you're saying there about reading something and going oh well I can't take any of these any of these ideas to to do something with even though they're really inspiring and really creative because you can't because it's it's there it's somebody else's kind of you know intellectual property isn't it uh, and you want something original and different and and dynamic yourself but it's it has really given me the uh, I think the hunger for gaslight um, yeah for sure yeah, yeah don't get me wrong it, it's fine. You know, what's the adage, you know, you know, good ideas, you know, you 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 borrow, great ideas you just steal. There's no writer alive that's <laughs> a bit of that, you know what I mean? But um no, I I, I think um I think it's great to be inspired by yeah. fiction and to kind of you know go off on a on a tangent with your ideas and create something that's yours. Brilliant, absolutely yeah. do it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you read a story and go, this is just a scenario waiting to happen. And maybe, you know, you should contact the author and go, hey, can I make a scenario out of this book? You know, and they'll put it on, possibly get their agreement. You know, why yeah. not? Okay. Well, I have to say that, you know, th- th- I would recommend those books out. I think they've been out a while. I think I'm quite late to the party on them. Um, but uh, no, yeah, else... yeah, I've got the uh, first one. Yeah, yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but because I'm such a good interviewer, 
let's use this brilliant link I've set up to carry on our questions on Gaslight because that's kind of what it's oh, okay. I think. <laughs> such, such smooth transitions they have. Um, <laughs> so this is uh, from uh, Chris Bates, who's a really good friend of the Playhouse. Uh, and he's also a really uh, big fan of Symphony Entertainment with Bridget as well. He's always such a great um, fanfare for, for quite a lot of us out there doing podcasts. But this is, this is also a matching question for Ellie Vega. So the question is, uh, quite simply, any news on Gaslight? <laughs> okay um <clears throat> what can i tell you um yeah the news is um as you probably already know because i've said this before but yeah that's like is the core books are two books there's a player facing investigator's guide and a keeper's guide for gaslight not just one book um and so um <clears throat> the keeper's guide has mythos and monsters and how you know running games and scenarios in it all the kind of stuff you would expect to find as a keeper um and um in the investigator's guide is more of the setting material so this is you know as a player you can pick it up and like i know nothing about victorian london it will guide you through and talk about it um it's also got character generation in there and also in the appendix is is a version of the core Cthulhu rules. So um, if you were new to the game, but gaslights your thing, uh, and you are drawn because you want to play Victorian role playing, you could pick up the Gaslight Investigators book and begin playing without having to go and you know buy the main rule book. Um, yeah, which you may want to do later on because obviously the rule book's got lots more in it and stuff like that, and more detail and more optional rules and so forth but you know as a as a starting point um you don't need anything else other than the the gaslight investigators book and in theory the keeper book if you're going to run it uh to to play so those two books are written edited and copy edited and and yeah only a week ago i finished indexing the um, keepers book the player book's already been indexed. everybody who's listening to the mic is, is to this mic has got the same smile that i've got right now <laughs> so they're all, all the smile is growing my, the more my work on the book in terms of the actual <laughs> creative side um is done uh, i should i should just say it's not just me uh, <laughs> lynn hardy had a hand in the early days of when we were putting the book together and did some good work on it uh, but the person who's done the, the vast majority in terms of all the legwork of pulling it together and filling in the gaps for the writing and adding new stuff and, and, and so forth is Karis McDonald, who uh, has uh, done all the really heavy lifting on it. I've just come in at the end. And I, I, I came in at the start going, this is what I want from the old book. This is what I, what I add in for the new book. I wrote a little bit here and there, started to do it, then got carried away with other things. So Lynn came in and did a bit more. And then, then we got Keris in. So Keris just come and do gaslight. Who's this book? And so that's what Keris did. So she worked on both those books and pulled them together. So I've oh, come nice. at the end to kind of you know go over them and do the last development and editorial on them. So that text-wise, all good, but text alone does not make a book. Um, so um, the great Matt Ryan, uh, cartographer, is yes. about to start. Um, starting to do the maps that are required for both books and there are a number of maps so it's going to take him a while to do those yeah and we are in the process of starting to kind of get art together for those two books and again they're quite big books so they need a lot of art and yeah. um, and art again takes a while to do especially when you need a lot of art 
so once all those ingredients, the other ingredients other than text come in, which will be some point this year, uh, <laughs> we will then, you know, be able to kind of, you know, throw it over the over the fence to the to the layout teams and um, they can get laid out. So that's kind of where we are with it. So I can't give you I can't give you any whens it's going to appear. It will appear in the future when it's ready. Um, but you know, I, I, predicting when all the art and maps are going to be finished is is you know, I I I might set a deadline, but the world will work against me. And only yeah. Yog Sogoth can answer those, answer exactly. those questions. So that's yeah. Kind of what's happening with Gaslight, um, and um, there's a a, um, a new scenario in the Keeper's book and an old scenario that's been reworked it's a really cool old scenario Ooh, exciting <laughs> i've got a copy of uh I, I managed to snag one off ebay uh one of the oh here it is um just hope that i don't rip things down off my shelf uh one of the older uh, uh dark designs oh yes uh, yeah. and I, that, again just that's just been spurring this desire for these 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 new books to come out and go oh god i want to yeah because it's just it's just really <laughs> exciting very exciting um, right, we've got three quick questions, uh, yeah. follow-ups from Chris here, and then we've got our two final questions. So these are these next three are kind of quick-fire questions for you, Mike. Uh, the first is, why is Mike so dapper? I have no answer to that other than I could ask you the same question. You, you and I are the only people that bother to take time when we were coming on screen to kind of dress up a bit. And, you know, everyone, everyone else looks great, but you always wear a tie, so I'm always impressed. So I, you I'm following your lead, Mike. I always saw you with your cool <laughs> cravats and stuff. I don't have your cool vibes. So I had to do something, and this is what I landed with. Uh, but uh, I'll have a word with the rest of the MP team and see if they yeah, see if yeah, they feel I'll, like wearing ties. All in, you know, you know, dressing up a bit now. <laughs> I imagine Hedge will put a tie on and then just chop it off here <laughs> yeah. and just wear the stub. That's that's pretty much what he's going to do. Um, <laughs> uh, the next quick fire question is: Is Mike Mason an alias? Which is quite quickly followed up with, is he really a crawling chaos avatar? I think you've yeah, got a reputation I, I among the community. The typo is Mike Mason an alien. That's right. <laughs> Either no, or, I think a suitable it's, question. It's, it's my real name, so it's not an alias. Um, and um, is he really a crawling chaos avatar? Well, I I, I have been at times. Yes, <laughs> I have. You know, in real life, been a agent of chaos at times, but I try not to be. I try and be quite organised most of the time. Chaos, chaos is something to avoid where I can help it. So we'll be exciting, yeah. but can also be distracting. Um, it doesn't get chaos. Chaos doesn't get books put out. Yeah, um, no, quite uh, right. I'm, I'm interested to put books out, so uh, <laughs> that requires organization, planning, and a bit of complete finishing too. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, just uh, sidestepping uh, books for a minute. We we've uh, my this is a question from me. I'm selfishly putting my questions in there because I'm here and I get to just cheat whenever I want. Absolutely. Um, so my question is, um, it, it it's a hint on we we had the really really wonderful bookshops of Arkham uh, in the very recent uh, past, which which everybody has watched and said, wow, what a really cool new exciting way to look at call of cthulhu uh, uh, uh and uh, mark mearson obviously did a fantastic job with the crew on there um and we've just seen obviously that's been posted by calcium and posted by a, a few other shared around graveyards of arkham can you give us any exciting hints exclusives nods <laughs> things about graveyards of arkham because i think we're all kind of going oh amazing we've got another one coming what i can tell you is going to be awesome 
is what okay. I can tell you. I can't really tell you much more, but I mean, um, um, it's going to be some of these, some of the old team, um, not necessarily all of them. They're going to be some new faces as well. But um, uh, I know that uh, Lucia Vesprilli is going to be involved again, which is great because Lucia is also working with us on generating art and things for some books for us. So it's really nice working with with her on those as well. Um, but um, it's going to be good. I mean, I don't have a large involvement. I tend to, I tend to wait for emails to come. Going, Mike, with what, what we want to know is there such and such in Arkham, or how many are there in Arkham, and where are they? <laughs> and I kind of like, okay, right, there's, a, there's this one, and there's that one, and then this one, and if you really need another more, you could shoehorn one in here, kind of, <laughs> kind of things. And um, so I tend to be the um, Arkham repository for them as and when they yeah. need it. Um, and uh, but I think they've got a pretty good handle on things now, so I'm not sure whether whether they'll need to call on me at all for the the new one. Yes. But, um, but no, they they've done a great job, and um, it's I really like I really want to tell I do rules on the game developer. It's like you know on the videos when they're, they're doing their live play, but and their little graphics explain the rules. Yes. They're yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> explain the rule, and it's right. Yeah. <laughs> You got to wait for the the moment it comes up. They explain the rule, and anybody else doing it, it's just go. That's not the rule. That's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, not what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say, uh, bookshops of Arkham. I think so many people have just talked about not just how much fun it was, uh, uh, but also just how slick it was. It was such a cool production, uh, and I think for a lot of us, it really embodied what we all love about this. Uh, so it's a really nice, very cool contemporary medium to yeah I, I know it's what we do but again it's, it was that lovely mix of it's a game of call of cthulhu but we've also got this wonderful dramatized aspect to it as well yeah. uh which i know you and i mike with kind of thespian backgrounds that's that's <laughs> a really a really cool way to kind of do it and, and engage in that, that that horror genre again yeah no, absolutely yeah now i'm looking forward to it and um uh, i'm not entirely sure you know exactly when it'll all happen because obviously they're going to run the Kickstarter first and and yeah. and make it from there, but um, but yeah, I mean if, if if I mean usually things with these things they just get better, don't they? They you know yeah. They've yeah. now got the experience of doing it the first time, uh, and and so I can only you know imagine it will just you know continue to evolve and 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 you know continue to be a really kind of quality version of of, of live play in that way. So. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm you like know what it. the dangerous thing though is, is that as soon as you do something of that wonderful uh, production values and talent and expertise, there's people like the Playhouse who go, "That was amazing. Can, can we do something like that? You do a great job. I mean, you can know, it's, it's like the the it, it's role. What role playing has always been? It's been a very kind of um, broad church in that it's in that it, it kind of. It, it takes everything and works with it and makes it work. You know, yeah. so I mean, if you've got, you know, lots of money and fantastic production equipment and, and all the time in the world, clearly, you know, you can do more polishing. But, you know, most of us, you know, it's us in a, you know, little camera and a built-in microphone. And, and, you know, it's not about that. It's about the experience. Yeah. It's about yeah. the game. And, and whether you're doing it with, like, very expensive microphones or cheap ones it doesn't matter it's about the experience and and, and what i find from live plays when you know obviously i see quite a few <laughs> um what 
the ones that engage me, doesn't, I, I'm not, I'm, you know, while it's nice to look at nice things, what actually engages me, what keeps me watching, because even, even, even the bestest ones out there, I will watch it five minutes ago. I've kind of seen it. I don't need to watch the rest of it. But the ones that hold my attention, like, like you know, when I'm flicking the channels and suddenly there's Jaws is on TV that I have to start watching from that moment. Yeah. The same kind of effect with live plays is when they're engaging, when it's yeah. the what the people are saying and how they're reacting to the game. That's what pulls me in. And so, you know, the stuff that you're doing on the repository does that kind of thing. It's really it's engaging, it's exciting. And so, you know, and you're telling lots of different stories and you have got different players on and, and they all bring different things to the game. So it is engaging. And so, you know, and there's plenty of other guy, you know, people and 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 shows like the repository that, you know, aren't the next tier kind of production levels, but are are often really good because they're they're to me more like a real game they are they are the experience i'm i'm looking to you know watch i guess uh, that's really that's you know, that's really lovely to hear because we like any real game make so many mistakes and you can catch <laughs> us doing that real time with what we do but i think you're right it's, it is it's the interplay isn't it i listened to you know what was i listening to the other day um uh, uh pretending to be people an american uh one and there's just, I think it's just them. I just really enjoy them, the people and their interplay yeah. and stuff. And it's just so engaging. Uh, and they screw it up all the time, but they just do it brilliantly. And they do it in a way that they're, they're yeah. you know, they're yeah, having a great of, all time. All of us make mistakes running games. You know, I, I, you know, I don't remember every rule, even if me or Paul wrote it. I don't remember <laughs> them all to the nth degree. And sometimes, you know what I do? I wing it like everyone else does. Yeah. You know, or make, you know, make a percentage roll based on that. There you go. Right, that'll do it. Um, you no, know, because we're all the same. You know, we, we get into the game. We, we just want to enjoy the game, and, yeah. and you know, that's what works. Uh, two, uh, well, one and a half questions, really, because this is the other half of my question, uh, Mike. Throughout this whole thing, uh, and as the evening's gone on, I've seen the bookshelf behind you go into this really brilliant, kind of creepy, dark hue uh, as the <laughs> evening's gone on. I planned so, it. That <laughs> so my question is, uh, what is the creepiest thing on your bookshelf? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question because just by chance, I didn't know you were going to ask me this. I have, uh, I have, I have actually the creepiest thing on my bookshelf in my hands. Would you like to see it? Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay, I'm going to give you a very short story. I, I, I found this in a in a, in an antique shop. It this was, is the start to a scenario, isn't it? Yeah, I found it in an antique shop. It was kind of in the bargain corner because clearly nobody wanted it, <laughs> and it was very, very. It's like I think I, I think it was like fifty p, um, rather than any expensive. And, and what it was, I'd never, I'd never seen one quite like this. I've seen many others, but not one quite as unique as this. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, um, like a, you know, uh, oh, the like it's, the, the it's Russian a, dolls that it's the, like a yeah. Russian doll, but it's clowns. Oh, and and and, and the, you can't probably see it on here, but the the paint is chipped and coming away and bubbling as if something unhinged has happened to it. But you open it, and they just kind of get worse. They just, <laughs> they just, they just like you know, it's like it's Pennywise at the bottom, night, nightmare fuel for uh, you know what I, what oh I like word. to do. People that don't that have a particular fear of clowns is like you know if they come and stay. I was just get them all out and line them up in in, in the guest room, and it's just so. You so know, they like, leave with the fear of clowns. 
join the rest of us. That, that is generally the creepiest thing I have, because it is because people do get freaked out by that. <laughs> I think quite rightfully, uh, Mike. Yeah, I quite, think, quite, yeah. quite sensibly, really. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But, you know, but yeah, write a scenario about some sort of thing. You know, wow. what happens when you release them and they come to life at night and do their With special each one. There's a successive thing, you know. growing power roll that you have yeah. to work harder to pass. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's 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 definitely the, creepy. The, the, the trapped, the trapped thing. It's you know, essence is caught in there or something. I don't know. Oh, cool. You know. Yeah, I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, right, and then uh, on to our actual final question. So this question is from Cosmic, who is uh, the sound editor at the Playhouse, uh, and he actually asked me this question. He, you know, he asked this question for, uh, for you, but said, "No, I want to ask Mike this in person." I went, "No, Cosmic, this is a great question. I have to put it in the interview." Uh, and eventually, <laughs> I twisted his arm into it. Um, so his question is. What's it like to be Mike Mason, knowing all of the cool stuff you've got coming up for the fans? <laughs> um, uh, how do I answer that? Um, it's a, <laughs> it's quite cool. I mean, you know, I, I can't say it's 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 not one of the worst jobs I've ever done in my life. Put it like that. Uh, yeah. So it, it is it is quite cool to do what I do, um, but you know, the that comes with a lot of work uh, and yeah. um uh and a lot of spinning different plates at the same time so it is it goes from periods of you know i'm i'm right i'm working on a book and and i have no distractions for for some time you know everyone is everyone else is happily doing what they're doing and don't need to refer to me or or, or ask me questions or whatever and i can focus down and get on with it and that's great uh and then all the other days in the week <laughs> is you know <laughs> other things happening or, or me having to contact people and ask them questions or get their help and yeah and so forth um so there's a lot a lot going on and obviously you know gone are the days when 10 years ago when i joined chaosium it was just me and so it was just me working on Call of Cthulhu and we were only publishing Call of Cthulhu books. So it was literally, you know, as I say, one book after the other, but it was one book at a time. Yeah. But now, you know, with, with wonderful people like Keris and Lynn and James in Australia, um, they're all working on their books. They're working on So they all come in at different times and, and want a bit of advice or help or I need to kind of look over it and I maybe do their copy edit or I do their editorial on thing that they've written and likewise they'll do some editorial on stuff I've written and so there's a constant kind of flow of information and texts and art and things like that and so um it's um a lot of plate spinning as I say which yeah. can be at times quite stressful <laughs> I try to make things not stressful but but you know when you desperately want to try and get a book done and there's lots of other things in your way, and you've got to try and clear them out of the way first. You just, you desperately yeah, try and yeah. clear them out. But uh, so it, you know, it balances out good and bad. But um, but it, it's good. I mean, I it's like um, being able to kind of spend most of my day working on something that I love and have loved for you know. Well, the game we know the game's just over forty years, aren't we? So I've been yeah, playing. Yeah. 40 years um and is is a is a is a nice thing um but what's 
what's nice about it is um not just i get to do it but i get to share it <laughs> and that's what the cool bit is it's about when you go to conventions and you meet people that you have helped have a good time yeah ultimately what role playing is is having a good time isn't it it's a hobby we get together because we enjoy it and we have a good time that's actually what it is um and so being able to see people that come back and go and, uh, and you've helped in some small way for them to kind of have a good time and talk about it and be enthused about it and come back and tell you about it is what actually is the cool bit well you know, i can you know. safely say mike even up to this point you have uh, uh created quite the amazing legacy that i know you yet to have to define and refine and redefine a number of times over um so yeah i guess from 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 all of us in the community to you and uh, and everybody in the team um yeah thank you because this is you know we we love this and this is why uh, things like the playhouse exist and why why like lots of the other wonderful podcasts out there exists and all of those community members that support us and the other podcasts and everything that we do and all go to all the, the conventions gen con uk games expo everything that goes on there chaosium con it's it's because of you know i think mike to be fair it's it's, it's because of the the rally that you you kind of lead the charge on um, <laughs> well that's very yeah. kind very kind of you to say um it, it, it's um it is a yeah I, I it's always been it was an honor to be kind of given the responsibility and it still is an honor is an ongoing honor to kind of you know have my fingers in cthulhu and and make things out of it it is 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 a is a you know is an honor to do that and 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 like my predecessors you know the greats you know sandy and and lynn willis doc herber um you know they they've all been you know they've all done fantastic work so you're sort of standing on the shoulders of giants and and, you know and, and my I'm a, I'm like them, a caretaker for a while. And then, you know, because the game will outlive me, you know, it's clear it's gone for 40 years. There's no reason why I'm going to go for another 40 or 140. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I just hope my tenure is, um, you know, helps to keep it going and, and keep that spurt, you know, going in terms of um, fueling the next 40 years in some way. And somebody else will come along and do even better things and uh, wonderful things, which, uh, which, uh, I hopefully we'll see some of, but maybe not. I don't know. No <laughs> it's what we all do in life, isn't it? But no, thank you. That was very kind of you, and uh, thank you for the um, the playhouse. I mean, I think you really um, found a kind of a bit of a gap, and you really made it your own. And um, the games are wonderful, and all the ancillary stuff is is great, you know. And the fact you also, you guys are also writing and producing your own material and yeah. repository you know it's like you could just easily do one of these things newman and that would be fun <laughs> you know you, you you've done many things and and your team as well yeah we're all producing great stuff so thank you back really because uh it is what we try and do the whole all of chaos is what we try and do is inspire people to not only have a good time but to be creative you know one of greg was uh very much a you know somebody who nurtured other people's talent yeah and um and so you know that's a legacy i would certainly um want to continue and, and happy to do so to kind of you know help people get to where they want to be and make what they want to do so um yeah all good well what a, a lovely sentiment to kind of bring our 
uh, our interview to to a close here. Uh, the, the I suppose the 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 ongoing legacy that is is Call of Cthulhu. Um, so I, I, I want to say thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for giving up your time and being with us here on the Playhouse uh, this evening. Um, it's yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Is there any kind of a, a shout outs or anything you'd like to give to us? I mean, everybody knows who you are and what you do, so it's. it's I, I, I can't believe I've gone through an entire interview and not mentioned Paul Fricker. So I mentioned Hi, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> who you know who uh has played an integral role in terms of helping you know with the with what i would call the revival of call of cthulhu and yeah. and uh so thanks to him as well but um no generally um just thanks to everyone who continues to play the game who's coming to the game new and you know keep playing and um keep pushing us to do better and build and do better stuff because it's you know we listen and um your 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 desires push us to do better in terms of the quality of stuff and uh doing the very best we can you know it's a continual thing so thank you for for, for playing and thank you for you know the desire to push us as well fantastic and i think that that i couldn't i couldn't second that you know the, the chaosium are very much a company that listen to their fans and work with their fans the playhouse wouldn't exist if we hadn't had spoken to and had conversations with with chaosium and with with mike and the team um and now it's time to shamelessly plug the playhouse if you like what we're doing uh the interviews we do the games that we do uh please um have a little google you can find us uh on coffee uh, miskatonic playhouse at coffee apparently i say ko-fi all the time and everyone goes that's not right it's called coffee uh so uh if you find us on coffee you can uh, chuck a quid towards us it helps towards the the stores but obviously towards all the subscriptions and things that we have to to build and make the product that we have uh and if you'd like to subscribe or, or, or you know uh join us there uh there are some wonderful backstage fringe materials that you can access as well um but also i'm going to give a quick shout out to the wonderful people at the playhouse uh, because we do have a wonderful team we have a great expanded team but we also have our main our core team which is Stu, our producer cosmic our sound editor pete who is our video editor hedge who pretty much runs the show that i pretend to run uh and um yeah that's about it i just kind of join in and occasionally speak uh so uh thank you to those guys thank you to our wonderful community check us out in our discord check us out in our groups and thank you much for joining the playhouse this evening and talking to mike mason good night everybody as we draw the curtain on tonight's performance we thank you for joining us and look forward to inviting you back to the miskatonic playhouse in the meantime you can also find us in the links below and if you'd like to submit your scenario for us to play, email miskatonicplayhouse at gmail.com.